everybody, and welcome back to the Kelly Green Hour as we are coming off another loss for the Philadelphia Eagles, a 27-24 last-second loss to the Los Angeles Chargers. I'm your host, LGRL, and joining me as always is my co-host from up north, Connor Donald. Connor, how's it going, man? I am doing so well despite the loss. <laughs> it breaks my heart that it's a loss, but I mean, I, I found there to be so, a lot of positives to take from it, especially offensively, but now it feels like we're going in opposite directions because we were praising defense, yeah. bashing offense, now we're praising offense, bashing defense, and oh boys, if this team could pull both sides of the ball together for 60 minutes for another few weeks, we may be in the playoffs because we are right there. The and Atlanta Falcons, the 4-4 four four Atlanta Falcons, right now have that seventh spot. And the Eagles have the schedule to make that happen, uh, which we will, you know, we'll get into this week's game against the Denver Broncos. But first, go ahead, Connor. Yeah, but first, we have a brand new partnership going on with our family now over at the Fight Philly Fight Network a small group that has some high aspirations and big plans for the future and are growing. They have a podcast and they have plenty of written material as well. You can find them over at on Twitter at FPF Network. And you can also find them at FightPhillyFightNetwork.com. So make sure you check, all of, check that family out. 100% dedicated to the Philadelphia Eagles, which we absolutely love. And also... A shout out to their sponsor, Bet you, Bet Us. Um, make sure you go and check them out. Uh, you can go to the Fight Philly Fight Network uh, .com and click the Bet Us banner uh, for more details. But you can get a 125% sign-on bonus by accessing through the Fight Philly Fight Network. So, say you want to deposit $100. Well, guess what? You're getting $225 because they're going to give you $125 dollar uh sign on bonus match so definitely something to check out with bet us and with our new sponsors over at the fight philly fight network definitely an exciting opportunity for us and we appreciate them taking us on um it should be it's going to be a great partnership i believe and like you said 100 dedicated to the philadelphia eagles um, all our all our podcasts will be able to be found there any written work you know connor you do a great job you know every week putting out your previews for the the upcoming week's games be able to find them there. Maybe I'll come come draft time. I know we'll definitely when we like to do our um our mock drafts, definitely put something together to put up on the site. So definitely an exciting opportunity for us, and we appreciate them uh, bringing us on. Now, talk Philadelphia Eagles, Los Angeles Rams. As I mentioned earlier, the Eagles lost 27-24 in a last second field goal. The Eagles defense couldn't make that one stop on fourth and one um, on Herbert's. QB sneak and Herbert on a second effort was able to get the first rep down. And then Austin Eckler was able to, to get a, what about a 15, 20 yard run to get closer because if the chargers were to be back where they were, it would have been about a 47, maybe 50 yard field goal, something around there, but it ended up being a, cl a lot closer um, for the game winning field goal. Connor, I am getting tired of these moral victories. Look, I get it coming into the year. We didn't think that the Eagles were going to be, all that great. Look, look, we know it was, it was a retooling, rebound year uh, with new coaching staff, um, a brand new coaching staff, brand new young coaching staff. Everything was new. So we, we knew coming in that it was going to be tough. But the way that the Eagles have played against some of these teams that they've come up, come up with L's, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get tired of these, of, of these moral victories. And look, I get it. The schedule is easier. You're not going to be going up against Tom Brady. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, you're not going to be going up against these type of quarterbacks in, you know, the rest of the year. You get Teddy Bridgewater this week. Then you get Trevor Simeon or um, Taysom Hill the, the following week. Then you get Daniel Jones and then Mike, um, Mike White or Zach Wilson or Joe Flacco and then Taylor Heineke. Like quarterbacks that you're going to be going up against are the type of quarterbacks that the Eagles have dominated. They've dominated Sam Darnold. Um, their other win was against well, we have three wins. We have the Falcons get week one, Matt Ryan. That was first year under first year under Arthur Smith might have been a little I don't want to say a fluke, but maybe an outlier for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um we mentioned the Carolina win. And then our other win was against Crap, help me out, Connor. I'm I can't believe I'm blanking on this. 
Um, it was just prior to this game, was it not? The Lions, yes, the, the blowout yeah, victory. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jared Goff. Oh, thank you, Jared Goff. Um, like, when they go up against really bad qu- quarterbacks, the Eagles defense plays good. But when they go up against a quarterback that is actually, you know, breathing, they give up 80% completion percentage. The Eagles are the last in the NFL in completion percentage against, you know, quarter, the quarterback's uh, completion percentage. They've given up f- five games this year. Five games. The, co- the opposing quarterback has completed over 80% of the passes. Um, and it, it's becoming annoying that Jonathan Gannon doesn't change things up. And I don't know why. I don't. It, maybe it's personnel. But whatever it is, something needs to change. And I don't know if Jonathan Gannon is the guy – Obviously, they're going to have money going into this offseason that they can put into the defense. They're going to have the draft capital if they don't trade for a quarterback to put in the defense. Maybe maybe that's why, you know, Jonathan Gannon has been sticking with this too deep. We're going to play the safeties in Canada look. Maybe that's why. But something needs to change because opposing quarterbacks are eating our defense alive right now. Yeah, the the too deep shell look is what it's being called. And and there's a lot of teams that are implementing it. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I understand the the, the purpose of it and the concept behind it and stopping the big play. But at the end of the day, if you whether you want to give up a 40, a 30, 50 yard play or whether you want them to just march down the field and have seven plays that equate to that same amount, it still equals the team getting there. And I understand that the aspect is like once you're backed up in the, the red zone and stuff, there's not that much yardage to play with. And that's where you can make your stop. But then you're constantly at the point where you might be giving up points. And that is what is extremely frustrating about it, because we do give up the points. If you could trust that we get backed into a corner and all we give up is a field goal every time. Fine. It's still excruciatingly painful and boring to watch. But. At least, you know, you're just giving up three instead of six or seven or eight every time you get backed into that position. But we usually give up the seven or the six, usually a three as well. But, I mean, the concept is is very painful. And I know that the, the concept doesn't work very well because of our linebackers. So maybe that's where you kind of try and make some adjustments and stuff. But clearly, it's not happening minus the point that Davion Taylor is kind of stepping up and he's kind of impressing, which it's about time he does with the third round draft capital, capital that was invested in him. And I know that Wilson was kind of taking up time uh, before then. But I do also understand, you know, it did, it felt like, so our third down efficiency was eight for 12 while the chargers was five for 10 and two for four. So you're looking at, you're sitting there and you're like, well, it doesn't seem that bad, but we were given up at the worst times. Those third downs and those fourth downs, like you talked about on that last drive, a four, I think it was a 45 year field goal versus a 20, whatever he ended up hitting is a big difference and a potential game changer. But instead, mm-hmm. We gave up that the fourth down. I, you know what? It it broke my heart, but it's like maybe there's a chance he misses his field goal. It was the Austin Eckler run that was a backbreak, yeah. heartbreak play that needed to be stopped. And that that I mean, the two high safety look, whatever that that is something where the front four and the linebackers need to stop him. Like that is something that is the most blatantly obvious play call that's coming. You know it's going to be a run. You know you have to step up. You know, stack that box all that you have to do. And if if he's forced to kick a 40-plus yard field goal, we may be talking of extremely different, potentially different outcome. But there were so many back-breaking third-down plays and fourth-down plays that we could talk about throughout this game. Even though there was only seven, they all seemed to come at very crucial times. And it feels like, you know, we ripped Jim Schwartz for this, but it doesn't feel like we've gotten any better under Jonathan Gannon. And I know that the offense looks good and like, oh, everyone's like, we have money, we got draft capital. But then there's all these rumors swirling about, you know, the quarterback situation. Are we going to go for Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers? Are we going to invest in with a draft pick, one of those first three picks? Uh, first three, one of those three first rounders, or are we going to wait another year and see if, if we can get a little more out of Jalen Hurts? Because the last two weeks have looked a lot better than the first seven. 
there's so much swirling and there's so much that needs to be taken into account before we can consider the idea of spending money and spending that draft capital on other positions. But we desperately need to invest on the defensive side of the football now. We really need to start looking there. Back-to-back seasons of investing at the wide receiver position in the first round. Um and then the Jalen Hurts pick in the second round. Like, there's a lot of picks that we can go back and look on that probably should have been invested elsewhere, could have been invested elsewhere, and weren't. Um, but, I mean, we're going to have so much time to talk about that stuff. D- this game, though, that was just excruciating. The third down and the fourth down, even though they only completed 50%, it they just felt like the 50% came at the most important and key times for the Chargers, and it killed us. And it always seems to happen every week. This is also the second week this year, and obviously the Chiefs game being the other, that the opposing team didn't kick a field goal or kick a punt, punt the ball. And you're not going to help your team or help your offense out if you're not giving them the ball back. Yeah, they had a couple early on, a couple fourth down stands, but you're still forcing the Eagles, the, the offense to go along field, which you know, they did. They did a good job. The Eagles offense, Jalen Hurts had one of his better games. Yeah, he missed that pass in the back of the corner of the end zone to Devontae Smith. Uh, yeah, he bailed out of the pocket early a couple of times. But there were a couple of throws, like the the touchdown throw to Devontae Smith in the fourth quarter, in which he stood tall in the pocket, moved up, and threw a strike. And Devontae Smith was able to get into the end zone. Had one of his better games of his, of his rookie year. Five catches, 116 yards in that touchdown. He's on pace for 1,000 yards. Like, something that we haven't had from an Eagles receiver since Jeremy Macklin, I think, a thousand yards. Um, so, excuse me. So, seeing Devontae continue to progress is good. You know, the one we we mentioned this time and time again. The one thing we wanted to see coming into this year is progression, and also, do we have an answer at the quarterback position? Offensively, we see progression, but then there are weeks that we don't. But I think the Philadelphia Eagles offense finally has an identity. That identity is running the football. Over the last three weeks, excuse me, getting a little uh, sick over here, I feel like. <laughs> um, over the last three weeks, the Philadelphia Eagles lead the league in rushing with 547 yards and seven rushing touchdowns. They're also tied with the Cowboys for most yards per, per rush in the NFC at 4.9 yards. The Eagles are a running team right now. I know Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman hate to, hate to hear that, and are probably whenever, you know, they have their meeting with with Sirianni every Tuesday, they might be like, all right, you're, you're running, you're, you're running the ball too much. Who cares? They, in order for the Philadelphia Eagles to win, they're going to have to run the football. They are a running football team right now. That sets up the pass. That helps your quarterback. They weren't doing much when Jalen Hurts, uh, excuse me, was throwing the ball 40, 45, 50 times a game. But when you have that when if he's throwing the ball 20 to 25, 25 to 30 times, but you're also able to run the ball 25 times, 30 times with Jordan Howard, Boston Scott, Gainwell, and Sanders when he comes back, that means you're a better football team. And that's what the Philadelphia Eagles need to do and need to continue to do. Now, obviously, the last two weeks, the running game was there because you were going up against the Lions, who are terrible against the run. You were going up against the Chargers, who are terrible against the run. This week might be a different story. Um, Denver is sixth in the NFL in rushing or rushing for their their defense. Maybe that the the running game won't be there, but you don't abandon the running game. You continue to run the football, allow your offensive line to get out there. I know if Patrick Sertan doesn't play, you know that might open up. You know when you have Ronald Darby on one side and not having Patrick Sertan on the other, that might open up the eyes of Sirianni where he he's going to want to sit there and throw the football you know, out in Denver, but don't give up on the run. And that's what they, they didn't do last week, even though, even when they got down and they have to continue to stick with it because they have the horses, they have the offensive line and that's their blueprint. That's their identity right now. Absolutely. I mean, the, the idea that Jordan Howard was not up on the main roster from day one was just, mind-blowing to me because i mean you can still have a two or three-headed monster in the backfield i understand the investment in miles sanders and wanting to leverage him and use him as much as you could and then of course the injury came along and that's when we really got to see jordan howard but 
the idea of having three or four running backs and just cycling them in and out and using them like they have been. I mean, Kenneth Gainwell's kind of disappeared the last couple weeks. But, well, two weeks ago in Detroit, he had the same amount of rushes as Jordan Howard and Boston Scott. He just did very little with them. And then last week, Jordan Howard had 17 carries, Boston Scott 10, Kenneth Gainwell 2. So but Kenneth Gainwell is definitely taking the back seat, but he's been more inconsistent. And because we haven't gone to the air, Kenneth Gainwell hasn't been as useful because that's what he was brought in mainly for. He was a very strong pass catching back. So we saw earlier in the season where he was used as a pass catching back and he was very effective when doing so but now that we've gone to completely a ground and pound offense well as ugly as it may look it is what has kept us in games like you said over the past couple weeks and it's what's made us look like more of an actual football team for a change um so that's really nice to see on that front and it's also really nice to actually see you know what that we're looking we're giving the young guys looks because all these years we've kind of been talking about how frustrating it is that, you know, we're trying to stick with the players we have or we're just kind of living out the remaining couple years of contracts and then paying out all the dead money at the end of the contracts. Um, but it feels like we're not actually doing that anymore. We're giving Davion Taylor an opportunity. Um, the cornerbacks got a bit more of an opportunity as well because Darius Slay went down at the end of last game. So guys like Andre Chichere and Zach McPherson got a bit of a look. As ugly as some of the situations may be with them, it's important that we get the look at these people and that we understand what we have in some of these guys and whether we're going to be able to use them going forward or not and what we need to invest our draft capital or our financial capital. And because like you said, we're looking at probably having between 30 and $40 million in cap space with a lot of free agents that we probably can let go of. And then we have right now, I think it's 11 draft picks. So we have significant draft capital that we can also invest. Um, so seeing guys get those opportunities like they should um, and seeing some of them produce is really nice because even, you know, if you understand that these are depth pieces, then they're depth pieces and you know that you have to get a one in front of them or somebody else that needs to go in front of them in line. If they're a starter, then, you know, OK, we need to get depth. We can look later in the draft at that position. Um, but it's important to understand those needs. And it's nice to see the offensive line seemingly doing much better as well. Because, I mean, I understand the injuries have kind of hurt us, but to know that Landon Dickerson is looking like a pretty good investment, to know that we got our left tackle of the future and we're good with that, um, to know that there can be some movement, there's some inter interchangeable pieces along that offensive line, some versatility is really good. So I saw a lot of positives come from that game despite the heartbreaking loss, and to know that we're still in the playoff race Albite at the very back end of it is good to see, and hopefully we continue to see some positive things, and the defense takes a step forward, not at the expense of the offense, like it feels like the offense took the step forward at the expense of the defense. Yeah, you're right. It just seems like they can't get both sides of the football going at the same time, and as I mentioned, they have the schedule going forward to where they should be able to do that. And obviously, I'm not. I, I hate saying, "Oh, they have the easiest schedule in the league." You're going forward; they should be able to do it. We saw it with the Phillies; they had the easiest schedule, got swept by. And I say this: I saw, I said this a couple of weeks ago. They got swept by the Diamondbacks, and things weren't the same for the Phillies. Like they, uh, and in the most important series of the season down the stretch, you know, Bryce Harper went over, over with, with with a chance to to go to the playoffs. Like I, I, I hate to keep going back to that, but. You need to you need to get these guys going. Keep you know keep them all together and <clears throat> continue to coach them up. We want to see progress progression from these young guys. Um, and <clears throat> excuse me, want to see it from the quarterback position. Jalen, I'm I still don't know if if they think I don't think the front office thinks Jalen's the guy. I I don't think that at all. But I don't know if Sirianni thinks that. And it, it's it's possible that. The coaching staff thinks differently than the front office when it comes to the quarterback position, but but I've, they've been running the football and taking the ball out of the ball out of the hands of Sirianni the last three four weeks. But you know the the, the first five games of the year, Sirianni had Jalen Hurts as the offense. Eighty per eight over eighty percent of the offense went through Jalen Hurts, so it is good that they've scaled that back. They needed to. 
Um, and, and you're right. Where the hell was Jordan Howard the first, what, six, six seven weeks of the season? He should not have been on, on the practice squad. Obviously, when the, the rosters were being determined out of training camp, I think both of us said Jordan Howard should make it. Boston Scott probably shouldn't. I know I did. I, I'm vaguely remembering you maybe saying the same thing. Because I think a Miles Sanders, Jordan Howard, one-two punch is a lot better than a Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, one-two punch. Now we're seeing what he's made. And I think reluctantly the Eagles finally brought him up onto the active roster because they, they kind of had to um, because he was out of call-ups from the practice squad. So they, if, if it was up to the Eagles, they would have hoped that Jordan Howard didn't perform as well as he did. But you can see it. He's still a young guy. When he was with Chicago – the, the first, what, three, I think three-ish years of his career, Jordan Howard was second in the league in Russian, maybe behind Zeke or something like that. Like, Jordan Howard is still young. Jordan Howard can still run the football and make plays, and the Eagles have to take advantage of that, even when Miles Sanders comes back. They have to be able to use both of them. We saw that one play against Buffalo last year where they were both in the backfield. Jordan Howard served as the lead block for Sanders. He came um, – had a big pancake block. Sanders went up for a 50, 60-yard touchdown run. We need to see more of that. And by forcing Jalen Hurts to hand the ball off and not calling these RPOs, he can't be he can't have that opportunity to keep it and make a bad play worse. And that's what that that's an outstanding change that Nick Sirianni has made to get this offense going. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And and like we were saying in weeks prior, you know, the uh, the RPO is only successful if you can establish the run and if you can force teams to open up a little bit. If they're constantly stacking the box or playing that that man coverage because they know that you're that the RPO exists, but it's usually either the option or the pass, they're not going to fall for it. They're they're just not going to. They'll just they'll drop back or they'll bring the pressure. They, they there's it's it was becoming almost like clockwork for defensive coordinators to be able to call a game against the Philadelphia Eagles because they knew Jalen Hurts was going to drop back ninety percent of the time. It was probably going to be an RPO and he was going to pick the pass or he was going to pick the option. But it was never the run. But now that they've started to establish a run, he can use the RPO periodically. He can throw it in there every few play calls to let Jalen Hurts make the decision, let him either tuck and run or throw the ball. And another thing that I really liked about Jalen Hurts this last game that I kind of haven't seen is comfort in the pocket. He looked so much more comfortable in that pocket. He stood on those on two or three plays to J uh to Devonta Smith. He really took his time, saw the field. His first read was likely Devonta Smith, but he saw the field. He took the time. He knew he could. He didn't leave the pocket. He didn't vacate the pocket and and run away. He just stood there. He waited. Devonta Smith finished his route, got open, and boom, nailed him with the pass. I love that. That's what we need to see from Jalen Hurts. I understand he's not a pocket passer, but to think that he, to roll him out right for 90% of pass plays in a game is any better than making him a pocket passer on on more of those plays is delusional because rolling out right constantly cuts off a whole side of the field, like we've said because Jalen Hurts, he's got okay arm strength, but he's not going to whip it to the left side of the field every time he rolls out right. So um, to see that he was more comfortable in the pocket and stuff was really nice. And to be able to take that time, have that four or five seconds, really see the field. If he if he's got that comfort more, he may actually do that more, which is a lot better to see. And I think that there was a lot of positives. Like I guess there was a lot of positives to take away from both sides of the football. It just sucked that we lost. And those third and those fourth downs were just absolutely killer throughout the game. Even though there was only seven of them, they really hurt our defense because they came at such crucial times. Um, so, yeah, definitely some some major positives, I think. And I think some good steps up for Jalen Hurts. Yeah, and the one thing that you mentioned how in the past, defensive coordinators against the Eagles offense can kind of had the blueprint um, of, and they knew what was coming from the Eagles offense. Now the opposing offensive coordinator knows what the Eagles defense is doing. They know they're going to play off. The quarterback pretty much knows what is coming or what, what who they're going to get the ball to before the snap is even made. And that's the frustrating part because they, 
you know, J- Justin Herbert knew who he was getting the ball to, whether it was Williams, whether it was Eckler, whether it was Cook, you know, whether it was Allen. He knew he was getting the ball to because the Eagles' predictable defense again and not changing things up. So that's that that has to change defensively. While the offense, as you mentioned, the offense is progression progressing, and and that's what we expect. That's and that's what we're getting. The defense ha- seems to when they take a step forward, they take three steps back, and I. I, I I don't know what what they have to do. Fortunately, and and I mentioned the schedule potentially could help out, uh, help the Eagles out in, in that term because Teddy Bridgewater, while while you know the the Broncos offense, Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams, uh, Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, Noah Fant, like they they have offensive weapons. They're going to be missing both their left tackle and right tackle, and Teddy Bridgewater is. He's better than Sam Darnold, better than Jared Goff, but he's still in that mediocre to average quarterback range. Still a back half of you know of the NFL starters is where he would get ranked. The Eagles have to take advantage of that going forward if they want to try to get back in the playoff race. Do we think they're going to get back into the playoff race? Probably not, but the schedule can allow for that if they play good football and you know not make dumb mistakes, which give them credit for one thing. Over the what, first five weeks of the season, the Eagles led the league and penalties, they've been a, done a very good job, minus the dumb, minus a dumb Derek Barnett penalty here and there, of not committing penalties at bad times. Yeah, I mean I, that that's definitely something that you can respect in the game. I think that they during the broadcast they even brought that up about how they've cleaned it up and and how how much less they actually showed the breakdown. I think of the first like six games and then the last three games and how different it's been on average for them, which is great. And I mean, Derek Barnett, if we keep these first round picks, there is an easy replacement for Derek Barnett in the uh, in the upper top upper part of the draft. And with the Dolphins um, winning on on Thursday, the possibility of getting Kayvon Thibodeau went down. Who I would have loved. It definitely went down, but there, there's definitely other ones there. There's Aiden Hutchinson. There's DeMarvin Leal, depending on where you think he can play. There's some. There's definitely some some names to consider, but I'm almost at this point now where the expectation of money that Derek Barnett will expect, I think he's playing himself out of Philadelphia at this point. I'm not so, mad at that. No, I am not mad at it either because you got Josh Wed, who's looked better the last two games. Um, Brandon Graham will hopefully be back, um, and then you can have a, I, I, you can bring in another young guy. We've seen some decent pass rush from guys like Milton Williams and Patrick Johnson and some other names. So you never know what they'll be able to do with some of the versatility of some of these players uh, going forward. But I mean. You can't go out there at this point and spend eight to ten million dollars on a guy like Darren Bar- Derek Barnett, honestly. Yeah, and you won't, and, and and any Philadelphia Eagle fan will not complain about that. <laughs> um, I think we would all be happy, and or yeah, we would all be happy if um, Derek Barnett just went elsewhere. Um, yeah, he, as you said, he's playing his way out of Philadelphia, and good riddance. Um, obviously, though, wherever he goes next, you know he's going to have like a fifteen sack season defensive player of the year type of numbers because that's what let's be real that's what happens when the uh when you when you when a player leaves uh philadelphia but yeah so if if i'm gonna look at the defensive side of the ball if you could pinpoint one person on the defense that actually showed up last week that they that could help find a way to build up on going forward who do you think that is is there a player on this defense that's actually worth it you know, right now that's playing well. You mentioned Josh Sweat. Uh, we know Javon Hargrave started off really good. It's kind of come back to Derek Milton Williams is a young guy who may have a may have a, a future here. But is there is there somebody that in last week's game made plays? You know, I mean, nobody got to Justin Herbert. He didn't get touched at all. Um, but is there a player that you could be like, all right, he had a game where while the Eagles defense struggled a little bit, he's somebody that can that took steps forward and can continue to take steps forward. Uh, over the next couple of weeks? Um, I'm going to go with probably the most obvious pick right now, and I'd mentioned him earlier, and that's Davion Taylor. I mean, you have to re- we have to remember it was just a short while ago that we invested a third-round pick in this athlete, pretty much, quote-unquote mm-hmm. athlete, because he was a pretty raw linebacker, but he was fast, fast. He could go across the field in no time. And 
You know, it, the fact that Davion Taylor was able to pretty much force the Eagles' hand and cut in Eric Wilson, who they pretty much put a fully guaranteed contract on, is impressive to say the least. And I know some people were like, oh, maybe they're going to try and bring him back at less money or something. No, th- th- there was never any intention. They realized that there was something in Davion Taylor, that there was something special in Davion Taylor. And look at the last three games. He's actually started really showing up against the Vegas Raiders. He had six total tackles. I think that was the game before uh, they cut Eric Wilson. Then in Detroit, he went for five tackles. Then last week for the against the Chargers, he went for eight tackles and half a stuff. So there's definitely some things to to look forward to and to build off of. Because I mean, obviously we know he he's an athlete and he was raw and that we needed to work on some of the fundamentals of being a linebacker in the NFL. And clearly they've got to the point where they feel really good about it. The guy's only 23 years old. But the fact that he's taken these steps forward and he's forced a veteran at a town like he the way he did is definitely something to look forward to. Because last week, like you said, you look across the board, a lot of guys aren't even on the stat sheet <coughs> because there was no there was no sacks, there wasn't that much tackles for loss. Ryan Kerrigan, uh, I almost <laughs> feel like he's probably one of those people who could have been taken out of town if it wasn't for the Brandon Graham injury. Yeah. The Brandon Graham injury probably saved Ryan Kerrigan's job in Philadelphia and across that defensive line. But if Brandon Graham was still there and somebody stepped up even for a game or two and made some plays, like maybe Patrick Johnson or something, there's a good chance that Ryan Kerrigan might have been following Wilson out the door as well. But, I mean, Zach McPherson came in. He made some plays, whatever. But I wasn't overly impressed with him or Chichir enough to sit there and say they've built on it, minus the fact that there is some capital invested in McPherson. I think it's Davion Taylor, the Cat draft capital investments there, the step forwards there, the fact that he got Wilson out the door is there. He's got a lot playing to his favor, and his snap counts have only risen over the last four weeks. Yeah, we're talking about a guy in Davion Taylor who in high school played like a total of like two games because of, you know, his I think it was a religious a religious thing, right? Where he, he couldn't pl- play on Friday nights or something like that. So he, he wasn't able to play much and Somebody that's still learning the linebacker position and, and another draft pick that the Eagles kind of took probably earlier than even he anticipated. But it is good to see that he is is uh, trying to in, increase his value and, and he's getting on the field a lot more. It kind of seems like the Eagles linebacker rotation is uh, Taylor and um, Taylor and TJ Edwards. Like that, yeah, that's what it is. Edwards and, and, and Singleton, but Singleton, Singleton is probably playing his way out of a job because I think he leads the NFL in missed tackles. Oh, he's a he's a special teamer, let's be real. He he he's a special teamer. But look, if T- Taylor can continue to progress and continue to get better, then um that's a good thing. Um obviously they still need to invest in a, a legit stalwart at linebacker. Will they? I don't know. If if they will or when they will, but but we'll see how how that goes. Excuse me. Um, going forward. All right. So the one thing I wanted to talk about this past week, Thursday, um, Howie Roseman was in attendance of the North Carolina Tar Heels versus Pittsburgh Panthers game with two of the top quarterback quarterbacks in this upcoming draft: Sam Howell for North Carolina, Kenny Pickett for um, Pittsburgh. Obviously, Matt Corral from Ole Miss. Malik Willis from Liberty are a couple of other quarterbacks that are being talked about as the top quarter quarterbacks in this draft. I don't think this quarterback class is good at all. Um, and if Jalen Hurts was in this, I, I saw something on Twitter. Um, if Jalen Hurts was in this class, he might potentially be the number one quarterback coming out in this class. That's how mediocre it is. There've been reports, been rumors, either the Eagles are going to, trade for Russell Wilson or use one of their three first round picks on a quarterback. I hope it's not one of the top 10 picks because none of these quarterbacks are worth it. Obviously quarterback with the quarterback position being the most important position in sports teams overvalue it, even overvalue a player when they're not that good. But what do you think, Connor? Will they use one of those three, three first round picks? Will they make a trade? Who do you like in this college class? Like, 
Well, obviously there were a number, I think 20-ish teams at at the game in Pittsburgh on Thursday looking at Sam Howell and Kenny Pickett. Are you a fan of any of them? I mean, like Sam Howell reminds me of Baker Mayfield a little bit. Kenny Pickett's probably the prototypical pocket passer of the guys coming out. So what are your thoughts on the, the quarterback position and how it revolves around the Philadelphia Eagles and what they want to do going forward? Yeah, I was going to say, like, somebody is probably going to invest sooner than they should in the position, but that's just because, I mean, you kind of talk, you would, I saw you on Twitter talking about it. It's the most important position in football, in sports, arguably. Mm-hmm. So somebody is going to overinvest. <laughs> based on the idea that they think one of these quarterbacks can be the guy. But as I've kind of been putting out through Twitter, it sounds like, you know, that this class isn't great. Like you said, that at this present point, I think it was Adam Schefter said that no, no team has any of these quarterbacks in the top 10, but it's all a matter of who's going to pull the trigger. Who's going to be that one? And then there, the, he also pointed out that that more than half the teams don't even have a quarterback in their top on their top fifteen in their big board. So that's huge. It speaks volumes. I mean, obviously there's some teams that are set at the position, but then there's other teams that aren't set at the position and may really consider it. Um, I haven't loved Sam Howell. Um, another one is Desmond Ritter. I haven't loved Desmond Ritter. He's been a kind of inconsistent with his ability uh to hit receivers um i talk to guys that i trust uh who do work for for some some scouting sites and they told me i asked a question is jalen hurts or is one of these quarterbacks in this class mainly i picked up howell and pickett any better than jalen hurts at the position they said better than yes significant upgrade no so then the biggest question to me becomes do you want a minor upgrade that likely still is not your franchise quarterback by investing one of those three first rounders or are you prepared to kick the can down the road or make a trade and end up having to give up at least two of those first rounders that is a major question mark and to me if you're going to invest in the quarterback position this year, I think it has to be via the trade, but it cannot be given up all three of those first rounders. This is a really good defensive class. At the top of this class is some very good defensive talent, and we cannot be the ones to give up on the idea of investing in that defensive talent. Um, so to me, if we do invest, it's got to be through a trade. It's got to be via the trade. I haven't been thrilled enough with any of these guys to sit there and say, mm-hmm. let's invest a top 10 pick in them. Because it looks at this point like we should have two top 10 picks. Obviously, that could shift. But no matter what, we're going to have two in the top half of the draft. Um, and I don't think that it makes any sense for us to invest that in the quarterback position, especially with the consensus being you. Is it an upgrade over him? Yes. But is it a franchise altering upgrade? No. So I think it has to be via the trade. And if he can make it Jalen Hurts or some sort of upside player that some other team wants and two firsts or try to spread the firsts, make it a 2022 and a 2023 first. I don't know, but you cannot invest all three of these first round picks in getting Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, because I feel like that's equally detrimental to our future as drafting that early on at the position and trying to address the draft like that. Yeah, I agree. There's no franchise-altering quarterbacks in this in this class. Defensive players, yeah, Kayvon Thibodeau, obviously. Um, and, and, you know, if you... Derek Stingley, if you're if you could potentially get him, you know there are a bunch of guys. Uh, Hamilton, Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame, another guy that's a, a big potential that that could come in and help right away and fill the need. So we'll see what happens. Doubt the Eagles are going to spend a first rounder on a linebacker because you know we know how that goes. But um, the Eagles are definitely going to have the capital to to improve this team. They'll have the capital. They'll have the money, and they can improve it and improve it quickly. And improve it to, to the to the point to where, you know, they they can make a, they could make a leap 
going into next year. So, so we'll see what happens for the uh, going into this offseason for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, one other thing I want to talk about before we get to our unhandled player, Odell Beckham Jr. going to the Los Angeles Rams. Do the Rams have a salary cap? Because they've added Von Miller, they added um, OBJ, Matt Stafford in the offseason. They have Robert Woods, who's on a big contract. Um, they got Aaron Donald on a big contract. Jalen Ramsey on a big contract. They have a lot of money invested, and they're even talking about extending OBJ and, and Von Miller, that they're interested in that. We know that they really don't care about the draft. They don't have a pick until the fourth or fifth round next year. Um, how are the Rams doing this? And obviously, this is the definition of all in, because if Sean McVay cannot win a Super Bowl with this Rams team over the next year or two, it's never going to happen for Sean McVay in, in Los Angeles. Obviously, they want to play in the Super Bowl that's going to be held in their home stadium. Will they be able? Will it happen? We don't know. But are the are the excuse me, Los Angeles Rams? They're the probably the best team in football right now, and they're going for it. They want to win win a championship, and adding OBJ can only help potentially. I mean, having Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, uh, Van Jefferson, Daryl Anderson, Tyler Higby. They already had a bunch of weapons. Now you add somebody with the talent of OBJ. It's only going to help out Matt Stafford. Yeah, I I don't know how they're doing it either. I mean, obviously, you know, it's it's veterans minimums are very close to veteran minimums um, with a whole lot of incentives built in. Um, I think the OBJ deal definitely has a lot of incentives built into it. Um, I mean, you look at it, Cam Newton just signed a contract with uh, with Panthers. Uh, the Panthers again, and he is going to probably make a lot more on that very short one year contract. He signed a starter's contract. <laughs> he did. He signed a starter's contract. It was like four and a half million with incentives to get up to $10 million. He's going to make more this remaining portion of the season than uh, OBJ is making. Obviously, OBJ dead money, but I mean, OBJ, the LA Ram OBJ. Um, so to me, I can't believe it. I couldn't believe when I saw that, but then the story came out, you know, that it was like, he, uh, OBJ reached out to Jalen Ramsey and, uh, you know, the, the story, whether it's true or not, which is likely true is kind of cool. He was like, do you think I'd fit in with this wide receiver room? And Jalen Ramsey went right over into the other room and found Robert <laughs> Woods and Cooper cup. And they said, hell yeah, come on down. And because originally the LA Rams weren't even apparently on the radar. It was, yeah, you no. know, there was the saints, there was the Packers, um, and the Seahawks, you know, some Jeez. other contenders, the Chiefs, yeah, but they no, like not this. And then boom, all of a sudden that, and then the story comes out. It's you know what's kind of cool. Hopefully things work out for OBJ. I understand like he he's taking uh, uh some heavy heat. Both him and the Browns are taking heavy heat for this everything that unfolded and the failure of an experiment. Um. To me, it didn't make sense in Philadelphia. I, I was vocal about it. I, I felt like he wasn't the type of person you needed in the locker room, especially on the rental contract that you were going to sign. You know, this is his first time testing free agency. So, you know, he's going to he just wants to get to the end of the year and he's going to redo it again. He's going to try and prove himself. He's going to try and build up his value and he's going to test the free agent market again. Um, maybe the Rams will be able to resign him. Who knows? But man, that that's impressive. That 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 is definitely an impressive feat the Rams have done. And like you said, yeah, they don't care about draft capital. They're all in. But what happens once they're all out? Like I said, like we were talking about pre-show, what happens when you have nobody to replace some of these guys? What happens if you get the L.A. Charger, San Francisco 49er-esque injuries like we've seen in the prior couple seasons where your team is dismantled and you're stuck with the UDFAs? Uh, or guys on veterans minimums who cannot fill in the voids of Jalen Ramsey or OBJ or, you know, those types of circumstances. Um, but for now, enjoy the ride, man. It, it, they're all in. They want to host and win a Super Bowl in their home stadium. And I see no reason why not to. 100%. Go all in. It makes sense. You want to bring fans. You want to draw fans. And half those games in LA, it's like 50-50 splits with the fan bases that are coming in. You want to build that fan base and get them cheering for you. You want more support for you in those stadiums. Um, so 
Hundred percent, man. I, I respect the all-in approach. Eventually, things may all come down, collapse in front of them, and it is what it is. It feels like at this point, if they get a Super Bowl, that is all that they care about. That's true, and that's all they should care about. The one thing I disagree with you, like Jalen Ramsey's still what 25, 26. He's not going anywhere. He'll probably finish his career in LA. Like um, OBJ, they have they already have a better receiver in Cooper Cup. So like. If he were to go next year, I don't think that that is going to affect that offense at all. Um, Von Miller, they, their defense was still one of the tops without him. So if if this is the only year he's with them, it's not going to affect them that much. So th- that's the one thing I disagree with you. Like they they won't need. It, they have a general manager that can draft, make good draft picks later in the draft, unlike our general manager. What seems like so that's the only thing that um, is. Where, where I disagree with you, they're going. If 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 done correctly, none of that's going to have any effect on on the Rams going forward. But we'll see. Obviously, um, things can change. Let's move forward to our unheralded player of the week for Week Nine in National Football League. This doesn't include the past Thursday night game, um, Jets or not Jets? Excuse me, um, the Dolphins and the Ravens. But Week Nine. Would you like me to go first? Do you want to go first? So hopefully we don't have the same one. No, you go ahead. All right. I'm going to go. I'm taking Josh Allen in the Josh Allen Bowl. Um, he had a – Josh Allen from the Jaguars had a sack for the first time in NFL history. A, a, a defender sacked the quarterback with the same name. He had an interception. He had a fumble recovery. He was all over the place in a 9-6 to Jacksonville win over the Buffalo Bills in a sh- surprising – um, game there. The Bills could do nothing in that game. Got to give the Jacksonville Jaguars and Urban Meyer a lot of credit, but Josh Allen of the Jaguars won the Josh Allen Bowl this year, and he's my unheralded player of the week. Yeah, no, I that that was one name I had, but I did have another name, but that, that was amazing, all the stats. I mean, <laughs> I think people were making a lot more of a scene out of it than it had to because of the t- same name and stuff, but still, he is 100% the clear-cut best player on that Jags team, especially on the defensive side of the ball, so hopefully uh, they're able to build around it and not waste another talent like they've notoriously been doing over the last few years. Um, for me, my mine's Elijah Moore. Uh, Elijah Moore finally had his breakout game with the New York Jets. I mean, I understand you hate when I pick players on losing teams. I do. But, I mean, at the end of the day, he was hyped up so much. Like, people were expecting this this bit him to really come out of the woodwork early on. Zach Wilson's been kind of ineffective in a a combination of – uh, was Mike White and Josh Johnson have managed to make guys like Michael Carter and Elijah Moore look really good. When it was supposed to be Zach Wilson making them look really good. Um, but Elijah Moore went seven receptions, 84 yards, and two TDs. Um, so to me, that's really impressive. It's about time that he got the opportunity to step up. Um, and that was behind the arm of Josh Johnson, like I said. Um, so that's my unheralded player. Unfortunately, I, it was either going to be Allen, who was on a winning team, or it was going to be Moore, who was on a losing team. So I'm going Elijah Moore. Yeah, the only thing I hate about that is I had Elijah Moore for fantasy and sat on that week. So I didn't expect it. <laughs> I sat him and Naeem Hines, by the way, and they both put up a bunch of points. Uh, I sat week, I sat Naeem Hines in all – I have him in a ton of leagues, and I sat him everywhere. And let me, uh, let me just reiterate a tweet that I had put out on my personal account, at Connor10, uh, earlier – or right after he had that game. Man, this business is brutal. This NFL business is so brutal. They literally buried Naheem Hines for three or four weeks to try and build Marlon Mack's trade value up. Marlon Mack did not do that well. And And the minute the trade deadline passes, they healthy scratch Marlon Mack. Like, damn, the NFL is a harsh business. I'm starting Naheem Hines against Jacksonville this week. Is that should I should I keep him in or should I not? I, I would. I would. I think that he only suffered because they were trying to drive the value of yeah. Marlon Mack up. And that move that they made last week to healthy scratch Marlon Mack tells you everything you needed to know. They've been they've wasted like four games of a guy like Naheem Hines, who might have potentially been able to be a difference maker in some games. 
to try and drive up Marlon Mack's value, and they did not get anything of what they want. Like, I can hardly imagine someone even offering a seventh-round pick for Marlon Mack, even though the injuries are there. Yeah. Most teams are prepared to go to UDFAs or old man Adrian Peterson or look other directions than to trade for a running back, even in as brutalized a landscape as we've seen this year with injuries. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll see, but they were good, too good. You got Elijah Moore on a losing team. You know, that's my big bugaboo with that. And I got Josh Allen in an upset victory over the Buffalo Bills. Now let's move to week 10 in the NFL. The Philadelphia Eagles travel to Denver. Their final time on a plane this year. The rest of the Eagles road games. The New Jersey twice and Washington once. Or Washington, D.C., so Maryland. The Eagles are going to be on a play uh, on trains the rest of the way after this week's game in Denver. They also have home games against the Saints, uh, the, the Giants, the Washington and Dallas to, to end the uh, to end the season. So their their schedule is right there for the taking. Uh, if the Eagles want to find a way to get back into this race, um, both off both starting tackles for the Broncos are out. Patrick Sertan the second is questionable, may not play. It's there for the Eagles, but we obviously know, and they're better on the road. They're three and two on the road, zero and four at home right now. So this is a game where the, the Eagles have a chance to to get pick up a win, but Denver coming off a huge win against the Dallas Cowboys, a, a game that I don't think anybody saw coming. They were up 30 to nothing in in the fourth quarter before Dallas had a couple uh, garbage time touchdowns. Your thoughts on Denver, and maybe give us a little preview of your piece um, that that you're putting together for this week. Well, unfortunately, due to, you know, the shift in sites and stuff, I'm I'm not putting out a preview article this week, but I'm probably looking at one next week. But I mean, you 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 alluded to it. That was such an impressive, dominant victory. Really, somebody uh, on a podcast I was listening to worded it best. It was pretty much a shutout because the two garbage time touchdowns counted for literally nothing. Um, but that was super impressive that the Denver Broncos were able to do that on largely on the backs of the defense, man. This Denver Broncos defense, I knew it was going to be pretty good, but it's been really impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they're able to do, I mean, they're currently only average, allowing 17 points per game because their offense isn't extremely impressive. They're only averaging 20.8 points per game. So it's not like the offense has been really impressive behind Teddy Bridgewater, which, you know, that was one of the main reasons, one of the driving factors behind the Carolina Panthers wanting out from Teddy Bridgewater, because Teddy Bridgewater doesn't like to push the ball downfield. He doesn't like to really push the pace of play and the game. Um, The Denver Broncos do have a pretty good two-headed monster uh, in the backfield, in Javonta Williams and Melvin Gordon, who they've literally been riding pretty much 50-50 the entire season. Um, so look for them to maybe take advantage of a weakened middle of the field slash cover two shell that the Eagles run um, to, you you know, really produce on the ground. They're averaging 113 yards rushing per game, but they are used a lot also in the passing game. One or the other, Javonta Williams or Melvin Gordon has a good game on the ground and the other has a good game through the air. So it just speaks to the 50-50 split there. Um, but yeah, this is going to be a different test compared to what we've seen over the last couple weeks. Like you said, the Chargers defense Good, but not great. More the safeties that you had to worry about, which you saw all over the field. Um, And then, but on the offensive side of the ball, this is a chance for the defense to kind of get right because they don't push the game. So this is a chance to kind of pull off of that two-shell look a little bit, come in a little bit, bring some pressure, you know. We have seen the blitz and pressure go up a little bit, but not exponentially like we would like to see. But obviously that comes with the cover two-shell look that, that, uh, that they're that Jonathan Gannon has decided to take. So I think this is a game to really change some things up, change some looks on the defensive side of the ball and really make sure you stop the tight ends because they have a pretty good combo in Noah Fant and Albert O and in the backfield in Javonta Williams and uh, Melvin Gordon. So I think it's the time that you bring the cover to show by I me. Mean, they do still have Jerry Judy. They do still have Corlin Sun. They have guys who can make a big play happen, but it's all about will Teddy Bridgewater take the shots uh, for me. Um, 
And as long as he's showing an unwillingness to take the shots, you bring the pressure, you bring the heat, and you bring some different looks. I think there's an opportunity to really win this game. Yeah, I don't have faith in Jonathan Gavin to make those adjustments, and it's so frustrating because, excuse me, because it's like that we clamor for it. The first half of this, the first five games, we clamored for Nick Sirianni to run the football. Finally did the Eagles. Offense has been moving the ball. A lot and and you know putting up points at a at a at a decent decent clip. Now we just need the 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 defense to to come up. Stop playing ten yards off the ball on third and five. Stop playing the safeties in a different continent. Stop play you know the linebackers need to get to get after the football. So you know, but I think the changes to go into Davion Taylor that's a good one. Um, we get to finally see what he has and he's more athletic and. Um, you know, you, you can mold him into the type of uh, guy you want. I was, I still, and I'm still of the belief. I don't know if Gannon's going to be back next year. I really don't. Um, obviously, they're close, um, having coached together in Indianapolis, Sirianni and Gannon. But the Eagles are going to have to figure it out. Do they want to? If if the, if the defense doesn't make any changes going forward, if the defense continues to regress, if the defense just continues to not make any stops, get turnovers, get sacks. A change has to be made. Obviously, personnel-wise, it probably will. But that coordinator position, I don't know if Gannon's going to be able to survive it if they continue at this type of pace. But talking about the, the the Broncos' offense, they have a lot of weapons, but that offensive line, the Eagles' front four should, and I put that in quotes, should be able to to win the battle. Will they? I don't know. But that's that's where the Eagles are going to have to win the game. It's going to have to be a defensive game. And that altitude in Denver could play hectic on on the Eagles, a team that hasn't played in Denver. They play in Denver once every eight years. Like, you don't experience that altitude a lot. And that could be a really a, a very real thing. The depth has to be there. We know that the Eagles don't have great depth, but in order for them to – Find a way to come away with the win. It's going to take all 53 men, all 46, I should say, that are on the game day roster to win because that altitude is a real thing in Denver. Yeah, and I mean, if there's one thing that if you look at sports books and you're learning from this, they didn't even get that three-point yeah, you know, home spread. It's actually, I see one and a half right now on oh, ESPN.com. Wow. So the fact that the Denver Broncos haven't even gotten the you know usual hometown spread that's usually around three – is speaks volumes to what potentially could go down. Like there's a real opportunity here that despite, you know, some of the things we've talked about, the Philadelphia Eagles can really stay competitive. And there's this feeling that they're going to be very competitive in this game. Um, So I'm really interested to see how this game goes. Um, Like I said, I think the Denver Broncos defense is really good. Their Mm -hmm. offense has some really incredible weapons, but Teddy Bridgewater is not the one to really exploit those weapons. Um, but that doesn't mean that things can't happen with those weapons the, based on the way Jonathan Gannon plays his defense or the looks that he gives Teddy Bridgewater. You never know if he might be willing to take the shot offensively. I mean, we're just you just keep running, the, just keep playing the game you were playing. That's what it's all about, man. Like keep keep that ground and pound attack. Open up last week in my preview piece. I put Devonta Smith as my player to watch on the Philadelphia Eagles because if the Philadelphia Eagles continued to push the pace the way they were with the grand and pound way, that should open things up for Devonta Smith because they're going to be forced to, you know, come in a little bit more, give more of a get, keep that front seven a little tighter, and that would open things up for Devonta Smith in in the intermediate part or deeper part of the field, and it definitely did. So, I mean, if we can use a similar approach and continue to do the same approach, that would be awesome. To see more people involved would also be awesome. But when you're throwing the ball 15 to 20 times a game, having only five or six guys targeted tends to be the trend that you're going to see. But seeing Dallas Goddard get a little bit more involved would also be really nice because he's playing for a big money contract. And we haven't really seen a whole lot of him um, over the past three weeks. Well, I actually dis- I actually disagree with that because he's been the Eagles' leading receiver since. Since he, he um, had been, he had been, except for the prior last week. I mean, I guess it kind of go- goes with the territory that we don't pass the ball a lot, so we can't expect these massive hundred-yard games or these games that Devonta Smith one, had last week. 
it wasn't the best throw because Jalen didn't put it in the right spot. But if if Goddard could have contorted his body the other way instead of the way he went, you know, you catch that ball and a 50 or however many yards he had last week, 50-ish yards, turns into possibly a 100-yard game that, that he could have had if he had that big catch down the left sideline. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, I'm sure there are some plays, like, when you watch Jalen Hurts throw, it's like, that's behind, that's too far ahead, that's too high. And some of those ha- happen with Goddard, some of them happen with Devonta Smith, and it's a shame uh, that it that it happens because I would like like it, like you said yeah Goddard's doing well with the opportunities he's given I just wish we could get you use him more get more out of him um, but I mean at the end of the day the grand and pound way that we're working it and averaging like 120 yards passing per game uh, or 120 to 150 yards passing per game kind of does that to some of your receiving weapons um, but for me was I. I think it's a winnable game. I really do. I think it's a winnable game. I, I think it's winnable too. If we play our game and if the defense comes to play. If Jonathan Gannon continues to show that two shell look against this team that has four very viable weapons in the short and intermediate range, like we've seen in Gordon, uh, Fant, uh, Williams, and Albert O then we're in trouble. It's just going to be another one of those games where we're probably going to lose it on third downs. But if we bring a different approach to it, who knows? But yeah, it's definitely a winnable game. Yeah, we'll definitely see. And and kind of before we give our score predictions, the one thing with the Eagles only throwing the ball 20, 25 times a game, that is that lack of trust that that it seems like the Eagles have in Jalen Hurts, which is the reason why there's all these rumors of them getting a a different quarterback for next year. So we'll see what happens. You know, I don't, they need to find the balance of the first half of of, the first four or five games and the last three or four games. You know, as we mentioned earlier, the first four or five games where Hertz was 85% of the offense to where the last three or four games where they're running the ball 40 times and throwing the ball 20 times. They got to find that medium, that balance. And if they could do that, we could see this offense really grow. Going forward, all right, Connor, your score prediction. Oh man, this <laughs> just like the bag is spread. Uh, I, this is really hard for me to call. Um, I think I'm gonna go with the Eagles, though. I, I really think I think I can see us going to four and six. I think the Eagles, I think Sirianni understands, hopefully, Gannon understands the importance of getting to four and six and not dropping to three and seven right now and continuing to stay within earshot of that final seventh spot because I think that's one of the, that's going to be one of the only ways that we actually end up getting in is securing one of those final wildcard spots. Um, I'm going. Eagles, oh boys, I'm going Eagles 24, Broncos 21. <laughs> Another close game. This is this is the Eagles. Hey, this I think did I, I, I think I pointed it out to you as well. I nailed that score last week for the uh, Chargers game. I picked Chargers 27 to the Eagles 24. Just just to say, good I, good I, prediction there. It was a good prediction. I, I picked them to win. I picked the Chargers to win too. I just don't remember my score. Um, but um, in this week's game against the Denver Broncos, I I want to say that the Eagles are going to win. I really, really do. But I don't know if the Eagles are going to be able to take advantage of. I don't like. I don't know if the defensive line is going to win these matchups that they should easily win. I don't trust our ends. I definitely don't trust Derek Barnett and Josh Sweat. While he's been better over the last couple of weeks, he's been very inconsistent. Um. I, Something tells me Ronald Darby's going to have an interception against us because, well, former Eagle, why the heck not? Why why wouldn't he have an interception? Um, I'm going to go Broncos 27, Eagles 21 in another close game. And Broncos, Broncos score the go-ahead touchdown late in the fourth quarter and another heartbreaker for the Eagles. I think that a lot of the games going forward, despite, you know, some of the competition and we're like, oh, we should be able to beat them or they're winnable games. I think we're going to be in for a lot of real like they're, they're going to shave a few years off our lives as Eagles fans going down the stretch, because I think there's going to be a lot of close games. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, like. We've already lost a couple of years watching being Philadelphia sports fan, you know, watching the Eagles, watching the Phillies and, and whatnot. 
I feel like I gained years when we won the Super Bowl, and I lost any years I gained. I've I've doubled it in loss in oh, the yeah, last easily. over the last couple years. Easily, that's that's exactly what happens. All right, thank you for listening to the Kelly Green Hour. Connor has the Philadelphia Eagles winning. Was it you say twenty four twenty one? Yes, sir. The Denver Broncos winning twenty seven twenty one. Please follow us on Twitter at Kelly Green Hour. You can follow Connor on Twitter at Connor Ten. That's Connor T E N. And follow me on Twitter at LJHorrell54, LJHorrell54. And follow our new partners, the Fight Philly Fight Network at FPF, or yes, FPF Network on Twitter. Um, and check out the website at fightphillyfightnetwork.com. You can, you can see any written pieces by the entire team. And then by Connor and I, when we, we start getting into the writing game, and find our podcast on the website as well. And as always, wherever you're listening to us, please rate and review the show, subscribe, and let us know how we are doing. For Connor, I'm LJ. Thank you for listening to the Kelly Green Hour. Fly Eagles Fly.